0: It was a hot and heavy afternoon. Phil felt his shirt sticking to his back already as he followed Big Sally up the steps to the front door of Memory Falls Bank, a quintessential Louisiana town bank, ornate and crumbling. Phil was more preoccupied with the sway of Big Sally, her ample posterior framed nicely in her blue dress. He tore his eyes from the two alluring pendulums and adjusted his tan bandana and kicked the bank door open. Big Sally roared and announced it was a robbery. Her voice calmed the ache in his breeches as she sounded like a donkey with colic. Phil swaggered awkwardly to the front desk and looked at the bank manager, a sweaty, moustached walrus of a man in a cream suit and yellow bow tie. He looked nervously between Phil's semi and Big Sally's bosom, sweat gathering on his brow. He refused to give them the combination to the vaults, sweat beating down his face, dripping from his moustache. Big Sally grabs the manager in a headlock, giving both the manager and Phil a prime view of her enormous bosom. Phil couldn't tell if it was the adrenaline from the robbery, his asthma, or his heaving erection. But he was dizzy. Passion guided him via the crotch, and then they had sex. Big Sally holding the bank manager throughout in a headlock. The sheer horror in his eyes only made it more erotic. After completion, Big Sally tidied herself in the reflection of her revolver. The manager had long since fainted. Phil pulled up his breeches and got back to the robbery. If you read with your ears, you will find words in your brain that you didn't have to put there with your eyes. Books are good and they should be understood, but please let a narrator be your guide. Hi guys, this is episode six, Mark of the Duaneville. and I'm your host, Dwayne Ditterman. (laughs) And in case you missed it all these weeks, you know, I, an audiobook narrator, am bringing you the underloved, important books of our time. So, yeah, episode six. That's what I meant uh, when I said uh, Mark of the Duaneville, which was kind of a play on Mark of the Devil, if you if you didn't get that. Um, I, I know my references can be oblique, but but it's not really like the Mark of the Devil. That That's 666. But, but you know, we're a third of the way there. You know, that makes me think. You know, the whole idea of 666 representing the devil, or Satan, or evil incarnate, I, mean, I know this has historical origins, like biblical passages with enumerations that somehow add up to the triple six, but, but you know, in a way, that stuff is always random. Like, numbers are just a concept, and, and, and a way of ordering the world so we can understand it, and, and put things in certain logical, organic flow. Like scientists say that math or numbers are a are universal language that alien types will like just get, which which is weird because I don't get math and and I don't think I'm the only one. But but it is useful. Numbers, you know, because like if we couldn't say hey, there's three bananas left, don't eat more than two because I want one to make banana bread, we literally couldn't do that without a numbers and b. Numbers that mean something in our worldview and society and civilization. I read something recently about how humans didn't always have the number zero. Like, it's a concept and a thing that we, we just didn't always have. And it's actually quite important. Like, it's not nothing. Li- like, a void. It, it, it has meaning and purpose, especially in mathematics, which is what we've used to figure out that the universe is like 14 billion years old. Which, of course, brings up the question of what came before, if we know the age of the universe. Is that somehow like the true meaning of zero? The the beforeness? Like, is it a void? Or isn't it? Or is our concept of void just really stuck in our idea of, say, an empty peanut butter jar, T- to give a plebeian example. But it's not empty. The peanut butter jar or the universe. Like dark matter. Stuff that fills the in-between of stuff. Like, <gasps> gasp, sidebar, maybe if the devil is 666 for some reason, God is like zero zero zero. 0 the triple zero? Hey, wait, has this been done? I mean, has it been talked about? Did I just like break the Da Vinci Code? Okay, okay, guys, again, don't steal my ideas. Okay, I'm claiming that right now. I'm copywriting the idea of God as triple zero. After the episode, I will absolutely create a Wikipedia about it. Okay? And, unless, of course, it's already been done. Still, though, that it's pretty whack, huh? I, I'm, I'm, I'm like sort of proud of myself. Okay, and on that note, well, let's get back to today's text. This week, I thought we should explore something more modern. Not like today, now, necessarily, or, or dystopian, but, but more recent than, say, knights and wizards, you know? So as you heard from the opening passage, we're in the realm of Southern Gothic mystery. It's from a book called The Riles and Libations of Phil Asio. And we'll be talking with the author, Patsy de Bellevue, Wow, what a Southern Belle name. It gives such authenticity to this work. Now, I know I'm not blind in my ears. This book contains a lot of sex. It's sexy. That's okay. Just say it. But it seems to me that if you focus solely on the surface sex, you miss a rather troubling but wonderfully challenging deeper meaning. A meaning that asks or challenges the big questions about life itself. Like, I found this book highly philosophical and influenced by the biggies, Kierkegaard or Nietzsche or or Kant, ranging from utilitarian to burn-it-all-down ethics. Like that first passage was very Kantian to me. It was very obsessed with Kant. But we'll get into all that when we talk to our author. So let's bring her in now. Hi. Hi, Patsy. Are you there?
1: Well, hello there, Dwayne. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Big fan and always said there should be more erotica on the Internet.
0: Oh, Patsy. Wow, you, you know, with a name like Patsy, I, I assumed you were female. But you know what? That is my burden. I am sorry about that.
1: <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. It's happened before and it'll happen again, you know. I'd love to be a woman if I could.
0: Oh, I understand. Some days I feel like I wish I were a woman too. Sometime in my life I'd like to experience female orgasm.
1: Oh. It seems it seems different, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, from my experience it's like a male orgasm
0: times 10 on smack. That's the impression I get as well. So so I'm just going to put that in my bucket list of things to try and do in my life. What experience uh, a female orgasm? Sorry. i just. Oh, sir, sir. That look. I understand if you need to drink during the podcast. To you know, it's quite nerve wracking. But um, ah. but p- perhaps don't drive at the same time.
1: <laughs> my bad, my bad. I can never resist a mint julep in the afternoon.
0: Oh, jeez. Now you're making me lust after a mint julep, especially in one of them silver cups.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no other way to drink it.
0: Hey, y'all. Did I do South right?
1: Uh. Well, you know, there's, there's not a lot of ways to get it wrong, but you found a way to do it, Dwayne, and I admire you for that.
0: Thank you. I I, I take the backhanded compliment <laughs> with, with much pleasure. Oh, I'm glad to hear I it. I understand. Look, I'm I'm a Yankee in so many ways. Well, we
1: normally call you guys carpetbaggers, but, you know, I'll call you a Yankee for argument's sake.
0: I thought we'll just get right into um, talking about your book. Oh, lovely.
1: Just a little uh caveat. It's actually the trials and revelations of Phil
0: Ashio. I apologize. It was a name I wasn't familiar with. Uh, is there a backstory to Ashio versus what did I say? Asio?
1: Yes, you say Phil Acio No, it's Phil Aishio. Basically it's because it rhymes with Philatio.
0: fellatio Phil I get it. That's subtle. It's
1: subtle. Thank you. There, I, I am known for my subtlety.
0: I, I can tell that already from our discussion. Now the major aspect of your work that well that immediately drew me to it was this southernness? The thing was, I found it quite gritty. Would you describe your work that way or, or do you find it, say, more charming? Um, well, I find that
1: the South in general has a grit to it, you know, from our long troubled history. But I believe Southern charm always seeps through the edges and the cracks in the gritties, if you Mm. understand my meaning. And I think that is a good reflection of my life. You know, I've been in some gritty scenes, some gritty situations, but I believe my charm and personality always comes to the forefront regardless.
0: You can feel it coming through the airwaves, that the charm is just dripping over me. Oh, Dwayne, I can see
1: some southern charm coming out in you, if I'm not mistaken. It's hard
0: not to pick it up from you, sir. It's really <laughs> infectious. You see, here's a question about southernness and that southern charm. Do you think it's quite surface, like a veneer, or do you think it really runs deep?
1: Well, you know, that's an interesting question. You know, you get your southern dandies the a southern gentleman, and you they always maintain the ideals of a gentleman, you know, wisdom and honor and a certain way of carrying oneself. But then on the other side of that, you get a lot of inbreeding and racism so you know it's hard to balance the two
0: uh-huh so would you say that you've struggled to sort of contain your own inbreeding and racism in your life
1: well you know i'm half creole half cajun uh-huh. so you know a creole for those of you who aren't familiar is a, is a mixture of french and spanish and native american so it's a rich tapestry of culture you know merged into one ethnicity and then cajun is just the result of heavily inbreeding
0: uh-huh Ooh. Uh Uh-huh. And that's the official line on that. And not a descendant of Roman Catholic French Canadians whom the British in the 18th century drove from the captured French colony of Acadia.
1: Correct, yes. You don't want to get on the wrong side of a Cajun because that's a quick way to the emergency room.
0: Uh, Honestly, I think that 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 is one of the phrases we could pull out from this whole, you know, interview that you don't want to get on the wrong side of a Cajun.
1: (laughs) Correct. I like it. (laughs) Stop.
0: (laughs) Stop. Gosh, the charm. I mean, it's just dripping. Dripping. (laughs) I might try to catch it in a cup and save it for Later, sip, kiss, and thirsty.
1: Well. Oh, so yeah! You might as well save some for later in case you have a boring interview. You can spill it all over oh, whoever right, you're chatting with. Right. I mean, I...
0: hello, doctor. What are we talking about today? Experiments. Let me drip some patsy on you.
1: <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the first one to have little patsy spilt all over. <laughs> Let me tell
0: you. <laughs> you, sir, are also a cad.
1: <laughs> oh yes! Ah, now we are talking. Now this interview's moved into the next gear. I'm lacking it, you
0: All right, so you know what? I'm going to move on to um, a bit more pressing questions. I wondered, your book seems to me to have a deep, dark hole in the center of it, like where its soul would be. And how do you square that with the concept of zero or the void? Is your book really an oblique treatise on the concept of nihilism and the meaninglessness of life?
1: Well, I suppose the best way to answer that would be, the book first came to me while I was in jail for the first time. And... You know, when you experience life on the inside, you know, you can't help but have a negative, almost nihilistic, as you put it, outlook on life. You know, the unfair injustice of it all and how have I ended up here and what is the meaning of all this. But then, you know, you start to find different meanings in life. And I think I put that into the book, you know, as a, a way of exploring man's questions for Purpose and why are we here? And, right. You know, obviously, I did that through the medium of sex.
0: Okay, great. That transitions into my next question, actually. Oh, so fantastic. Uh, there There is a passage, uh, this passage, for example. He refused to give them the combination to the vaults, sweat beating down his face, dripping from his mustache. Big Sally grabs the manager in a headlock, giving both the manager and Phil a prime view of her enormous bosom. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, this was one of those passages that, upon deep reflection, revealed your philosophical underpinnings. Like I couldn't decide, but it was either suggesting a belief in a like a hands off God, the kind that created things and then let them unfold on their own, or a belief that God doesn't exist. When you write that he refused to give them the combination and then you go on to the very temptations of the flesh as one of our primary human challenges, which Phil of course immediately gives into, I don't know what I'm asking, but was that your philosophical viewpoint or who or what does Sally represent?
1: Well, you know, it's a tough one to say in terms of black and white. The best way I could put it would be, you know, I spent a long time in the 80s dealing Quaaludes. And, you know, there's a good chance if you bought Quaaludes between 1985 and 1988. In the southern Louisiana area, you probably bought from me and there's a good chance you're blind now. What I mean by all that is, you know, I was doing that. It was a, a very selfish, isolated yeah. pursuit for a man. And, you know, you, you found ideals in wherever it may be, maybe in an, in an orgy or in an endless yeah cup of whiskey or you know in a fine cigar so what i'm really saying is is that god isn't just an omniscient being i believe god is in the things right. that bring you pleasure in life and for me as for a heathen bosom of a woman is as much a God to me so, as... So, uh,
0: that's a, that's an interesting point then. If God is in the things that you find pleasure in in life, was that your kind of drive behind selling quaaludes? Did you feel like a minister of pleasure?
1: Yes, I, I, I didn't want to be a voyeur of pleasure like so many people are, looking at people enjoying the good life. I right. thought, I want to cut myself a slice of that good life and experience it for myself. and. And Quaaludes happened to be at the access I required to get into this this wonderful world of hedonism and joyousness, you know? Yeah. So I felt like that was the key, and I opened the door and I walked through it with all the enthusiasm I could render.
0: Was it the Quaaludes, like, loosening you up to get into it, or the Quaaludes just made money and so you could go and do that stuff?
1: Oh, the Quaaludes' connections and obviously taking them, passing out, and waking up in strange and wonderful new places. Yeah. It was just joyous, but you know it was it was a very empty existence as well. And I think you know, after my time in prison, I turned a corner, and I think that was the major break in my life where I realized who I really was as a person and how sex and erotica was my true calling in this world.
0: Right. Oh, it's so important to find that. It really gives you a a feeling that can engorge you with the feelings of of living life to the fullest.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're not living life at 90 miles an hour, you're not really living life at all.
0: I think there are a lot of successful people who have lived by that very principle.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I model myself after, you know, people who lived life on the edge you know Hunter S. Thompson right. Hulk Hogan you know people of that nature they're the kind of people I would emulate
0: kind of wish Hulk Hogan would write more
1: oh can you imagine a novel by Hulk Hogan oh. talking about wrestling and uh, his cocaine addiction and good lord all the orgies my god that that would be an author that would
0: be epic oh man he can own it two questions about the Quaaludes was that how you ended up in jail
1: yes yeah I was involved in a quite a elaborate bust you know um uh, yeah. Dealing some quaaludes to some uh, traveling salesmen oh, in the, yeah. in a local town. I can't say the name because I'm actually banned from that area now. But Fair enough. Basically, I was caught in a sting and I was sent down for 10 years. I only served six. And- well done in that time you know i experienced some wonderful things in prison you you meet some very interesting characters in those four walls of the prison you know i learned some amazing things you know i learned about the injustices of life i learned how to make a pretty good toilet wine and i learned how to avoid being shanked in various different positions when getting ready for bed
0: Oh gosh It's like every teen Should have to do civil service It sounds like everyone Should have to go to prison For a year Just to learn some survival skills
1: Oh absolutely I mean the army's got nothing On us six years in prison Let me tell you Especially in a Louisiana Penitentiary system
0: Maybe we should suggest this To the new administration As a, as a possible form of like Fixing the country Because the country's Pretty messed up right now
1: Oh I'll tell you what If you have a drug problem Or a murder problem Or anything like that Send them to a prison in Louisiana And they will either come out reformed or die.
0: Okay. You know what? I'm just going to put that out there. All listeners, perhaps write to your congressman and suggest the new Patsy de Bellevue plan. Everyone should go to prison for six years. Oh, my God. I
1: love the sound of that. The Patsy de Bellevue plan. It's so good. My God. What a ring that has to it.
0: So uh, the other question about the Quaaludes was, this is totally just because I'm curious. Did you have like a brand or like, did you call them like Wanky Zingers or something like that? You know what I mean? Like they have a fun name and everybody's like, I can get Patsy's Wanky Zingers.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mine were called Purple Nuns. Purple Nuns. Oh, amazing. I thought there was a nice little twang on that. You know, there was the uh, wonderfulness of the religious establishment. And then purple just happens to be my most favorite of colors.
0: Plus, I wonder if they made you feel amazing and also like super guilty at the same time.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, the feeling when you're on Quaaludes is incredible, but the come down is near suicidal. So, you know, I I think that puts it in a perfect
0: little nutshell. Wow. Gosh, I I feel like I could talk to you for. Days, But we need to move on because, (laughs) unfortunately, there is a time limit on my podcast. Oh,
1: well, I've got a half glass of mint julep here, so you take all the time you need. Oh,
0: thanks so much. Okay, let's move on to the next section that I like to do in the podcast, okay? I wondered... If you could read a passage from your book, see, I like to hear how the author's voice wraps around their own words, you know, like in a raw way, because not necessarily a good way, because if they were good at reading, they would be voice actors, not authors. And they are two distinct skills.
1: Oh, yeah, very true, very true. I mean, the only thing I could really do a voice acting for would be the NRA or some sort of discount store. I don't have a fine acting voice oh, like yourself, there, Dwayne. My God, you could do something for Target or Walmart with that voice.
0: You know, that's my dream. It is honestly my dream. I would like to be played over. And in, in Walmart over Target. You know, Target's a little too elite for me walmart voice announcements as such you, there yeah. is a sale on toaster pastries in aisle 17 2.99 for six oh.
1: right oh my god i was I, w- I was suddenly in walmart Walking down an aisle when you said that. I was transformed to that place in that time. And it just gives you a warm
0: feeling inside,
1: doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, nothing better than a warm announcement to keep your day nice and cheery. Feeling of safety.
0: So, uh, if you could... Open your book to page 114, the passage I'd love to have you read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it starts with, I stood before. D- do you see it?
1: Uh, let me see. Yes, I've got it here in front of me. Uh, whatever you're ready, I'm ready. Oh, my God, I dropped something else. I am so Honestly, sorry. These men jewels have that's taken a, me you, by. You know a what?
0: you're a happy drunk, and I like that.
1: <laughs> okay, well, off we go then. I stood before Warden Johnson in her office. It was a hot and humid day. The air was thick and stoopy like molasses. My, my prison overalls clung to my body with sweat, now more of a darkish orange. The warden was staring at me with a hungry look in her eye. Her other eye seemed to be watching the door. She put her heels up on the desk and told me to take off my overalls in a raspy voice compliments of a lifetime of Marlboro Reds. I'd been a guest in Mammer Falls Correctional Facility for over six months after the bank robbery with Big Sally went awry, but this was new. Warden Johnson was an attractive and intense Judge Judy kind of way. Her eye bore into my soul as my overalls hit the floor. Her other was now looking at my feet. I felt a jolt run through me, and my sex pistol responded accordingly. She stood up from her desk and sauntered over to me with a sway, half seductive and half out of necessity, as she had one leg longer than the other. It made my pulse quicken, and a shiver run down my spine. She stood before me, and her breath smelled of brisket and onions. She pulled me close. She dragged me to her desk awkwardly. I tripped over my overalls twice, and then we had sex. After completion, she dismissed me and I left her office. I made my way to the cell to have some toilet wine and click my head.
0: What an afternoon. Once again... You seem to have a sexually dominant female character, which, hey, good for you. Female empowerment.
1: Oh, absolutely. I was raised by a single mother. So, you know, I'm no stranger to a powerful woman in my life. If anything, I welcome it. But I just know that a woman is capable of everything as much as a man is, in some cases, better. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah.
0: So, but I wondered, having the sexually dominant female character, I wondered if in this case, you were suggesting a bit of Nietzsche with the female eyes that are able to independently move and observe the world, that part of the story, representing the abyss from the Nietzsche passage, if I may, this is my own translation from the original German, whoever fights with the hairy tooth droolers should see to it he does not become a hairy tooth drooler in the process, and when you creepy stare long into a dark hole, the dark hole also catches you staring awkwardly and gives you the what-the-fuck-are-you-looking-at, you creep, look back. I mean, there, there are other versions of that passage, but they're less poetic, so I like mine. Since this is set in a prison and the character Phil seems to repeatedly give in to these humanly temptations, would you say that that is a fair summation of this section of the book?
1: Well, you know, I'll be honest. I'm not a, the biggest fan of Nietzsche. Okay. You know, I find him a bit of a downer. Sure. And I'm more of a, a looking for a good time in life, uh-huh. you know. I think, with, like, for example, with the warden's cross-eyed, I've always had a fascination with cross eyes. You know, I feel, you know, one looks at you and the other one is looking for you. But is it? Is it maybe looking into something we haven't seen or even comprehended in our lives? Right. You know, and I've always kind of found that, you know, I've always found a fascination with the obscure and the unusual in life. And I think that is reflected in my books quite heavily.
0: Totally. So if you find Nietzsche kind of a downer, who is a a good inspiration for you?
1: Well, you know, there's many an author I've read and many a person I've... seen in my life you know like for example when i was in in the slammer if you will yeah i met many an interesting person but one in particular stood out to me because he just had a a way with explaining things and seeing the world his name was big jimmy big jimmy he was he was about four foot eleven it was an ironic title but you know he took it well and you to bring a problem to big jimmy and he would just see through it like a fucking laser he just attack it and understand exactly what
0: it was and how to fix it. And was he someone who had, what did you you call them, the, the eyes that don't see in the same direction? Was he someone like that, with like a, a third eye type sight?
1: No, he had a cleft palate, uh-huh. which I also found very interesting. Yeah. I often said to him, Big Jimmy, well, why, why don't you grow a moustache or something? And he goes, no. This is my defining feature and I'm going to embrace it fully. Absolutely. For all to see. And you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it added a wonderful character to his face. And that was kind of the turning point for me. I think I started seeing things a little differently and saw the world in a new light, if you will. And I think that was a Real eye-opening moment for
0: me. That's beautiful. It's, it's a way of, like, actually like seeing the beauty in the world rather than these, these artificial constructs that, of, of ugliness that people like to impose.
1: Exactly. Exa- I mean, you could look at Margot Robbie and say, my God, what a beautiful woman. She is a goddess. And yes, she is. But you could look at another woman like Margaret Thatcher and think, hmm, my God, what an unattractive woman. What an annoying voice. But not to me. I would look at her and think stately understated uh-huh. and then the high-pitched voice sends a ringing through your ear that just demands attention and i think that's something i found very attractive about how god rest
0: her soul yeah and it sounds like too as a as an authority figure you might have also found that kind of alluring
1: yes yes i think maybe that too It might be a little bit of that in my life as it's probably revealed in my book and more on than one occasion true
0: <laughs> yeah true I mean, that's the thing about art, right? Like, it sort of reveals some of our darkest uh, impulses. Not even dark, but, you know, like inner impulses that we didn't even know we had. Oh,
1: my God, yes. I mean, I tend to write for about 46 hours straight. Wow. And and, and when the exhaustion sets in, your subconscious just comes alive. And that's when I find I've written some of my best things. I mean, I don't even remember reading it. It's more like I'm reading it for the first time about a week later, because it takes me several days to get myself back into a coherent state
0: afterward that's incredible do you mind if i ask how do you write for 46 hours straight well
1: you know it's a combination of things uh, a lot of stimulants yeah. uh, a lot of mint juleps sure. and uh, i tend to play very kind of crazy jazz in the background that keeps me awake and my
0: mind active hey man whatever floats your boat
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it works for me. I think every writer has their own way of doing things. I mean, I have a colleague and he drinks about six bottles of wine before he writes and then writes and then reads it the next day. And whatever makes sense, he tends to use.
0: This is incredible. It sounds to me very much like a beat poet, like how how Kerouac wrote some things. I mean, maybe you're the Kerouac of our time.
1: Potentially. I've never even uh, considered uh, stapling seven foot of paper together and just tapping incessantly. That might be my next
0: step. Hey, look, I didn't know if that would be the case, but maybe this podcast inspires a new form of writing. Do you know what? That actually transitions into my last question. I, I, Aww, it's amazing. we doing already? Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. Aww. But but it's amazing to me because I think we're on we're on like such a similar vibe, we're on like a very similar wavelength and I think it's in part because of your again, effusive charm that, that it seems to be lining up very well. So so let me let me just get to this this last bit. In my podcasts, I I like to try something new every time. You know, so we don't get into a sort of
1: Oh my, how exciting. I'm, I'm intrigued and titillated. Well,
0: so therefore, something I'd like to try, because I love the creative process and collaborations, so usually we'd read another passage from your book. But, but since your book was so short, I thought instead we could write a little something together. Oh. Like another southern mystery or something, but we'll do it like one line at a time. Are you game? Oh,
1: absolutely. You try and stop me, Dwayne.
0: Okay, do you mind giving me a first line, and we'll go from there. I'll pick it up.
1: The glass of whiskey was sitting on the stool, condensation gathering. A drip slowly fell down onto the wooden counter of the stool. The air had a denseness to it, strange for a springtime day.
0: Now normally, Detective Johnson's OCD would kick in and he'd want to put a coaster under that glass so that the wood would not be stained. But today, he was distracted with thoughts of her.
1: Prunella had been the first woman to ever catch his eye. He remembered the first time she ever walked into his office. The dark wood and the dusty furniture were brought to light when she walked in with her. Pale blonde hair, her piercing green eyes, and the turquoise dress she wore that just fit her
0: just right. Now Johnson told himself that he would never again take a case with an attractive blonde woman. He knew the temptations were just too great. But Prunella's story really hit him in the deepest, most sensitive part of his soul. And he said yes.
1: He'd heard of the Tabernacle family. Who hadn't in this town? They were the richest, most powerful people in all of Tiddeville Village. But what he didn't know was that Prunella was the black sheep of the family. And Then she told him her story.
0: Detective Johnson, you know my family. Everybody does. But you might not know the deep, dark secrets that we carry. That everything... Every part of this town that bears our name also bears a dark secret and a ruinous past.
1: The Tabernacles claimed to have
0: made their money
1: in printing back in the day for newspapers and magazines and the like. But what the world didn't really know was that the Tabernacles were the foremost in the titty bar industry. But not just any titty bar, it was the dirty seedy titty bars the ones the criminal underworld frequented, nay, operated from. And well, let's just say, you work with a dirty titty bow, someone's gonna catch you.
0: And so therefore, while everyone thinks of me as this angelic vision of innocence, all of my achievements are built on a dirty titty lie. Oh sorry. I just do you know what I No feel?
1: Dwayne, you're doing great. No. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I am titillated. I'm I'm th- feeling was, very, very titillated if I'm honest.
0: That that was exactly what I was that's why I stopped. I was just like, I, I can't believe where this is going. I think uh oh, that we could go on and on with this. It is absolutely stunning what we're what we're putting out there. But you know what, thank you for thanks for playing along. You oh know, no, for absolutely
1: And Dwayne I will say I thought you fell into the descriptive nature of my writing very naturally You know I always believed in literary foreplay You know that's why I describe everything but the sex Because that's where the excitement comes from
0: Oh yeah Totally. No, I I absolutely agree. You kind of talk around it. You make these little like circles around it. You sort of breathe gently on it, but you don't actually go into it.
1: Yeah, because sex is nothing but 50 pumps, you know, sometimes less. So, you know, you want to know about what happens building up to it. That's the exciting, wonderful, erotic part of it.
0: It's nice to know in actual numbers what your pumps are. I mean, you are a man who knows himself. That's probably the prison, right? Prison did that for you.
1: Oh my God. Well, you ain't got nothing but time in
0: prisons. So you analyze everything to a T. Well, I want to say thanks, Patsy, for joining us and for sharing your incredible, challenging book. Do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off today?
1: I'm actually doing a gig at the uh, Blue Lagoon Club on Friday night. I will be playing the triangle with a semi-jazz band with a creole swing to it. Amazing. So if you want to come on down, it's at happy hour from 6 to 6.30. So come on down and enjoy yourselves and uh have a little mint julep while you enjoy the musical escapades of me and the patsy de bellevue experience uh,
0: will there be quaaludes available
1: well potentially you know as you know they are now extinct but that doesn't mean i haven't got a few long past their expiration date rocking around oh
0: yes of course i'm sorry i'm just so not up on drug culture
1: it's okay to weigh you know i will be your sherpa through this world of drugs
0: Thanks, Patsy, for joining us. That's all for this week, guys. I want to thank you all for listening as well and supporting the podcast. And remember, keep reading with your ears. If you read with your ears, you will find words in your brain that you didn't have to put there with your eyes. Books are good and they should be understood, but please let a narrator be your guide.